Open your Bibles this morning, if you would, to Mark chapter 3. We'll take up reading this morning in Mark 3, verse 7. I'll be taking a few minutes and reviewing the first six verses that we spoke on last Lord's Day. But we'll pick up in verse 7 this morning, Mark chapter 3, verse 7, read down to verse 12. Mark 3, verse 7 says, But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait for him, or wait on him, because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. First, just as a matter of review, the first six verses of Mark 3 deal with the issues relating the Jewish Sabbath. This issue as to what is lawful activity on the Sabbath had already risen in the previous chapter and as I said last Lord's Day would continue to rise up throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is this issue that forms the basis of the difference between true Christianity and false religion. Between the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings of men, particularly the rabbis, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. The miracle of healing the man with a withered hand took place in the Jewish synagogue on the Jewish Sabbath. And we spoke last week as to why Jesus Christ went to the Sabbath and why was he in the synagogue on that Sabbath. And there were several reasons. First, I said last week, and I want to repeat this again this week, to show respect and obedience for the moral law in observing the fourth commandment. Second, to show respect for the designated place of worship in his day. Third, he was there to secure the chosen objects of his divine mission, his elect. The elect were found everywhere, even in false religions, even in the Jewish synagogues. He was there as a teacher of the word of God, as God's anointed prophet. And finally, he was there to declare the gospel message of his kingdom, to testify that he is God's anointed prophet, priest, and king. In that synagogue on that day there was a man there which had a withered hand mark chapter 3 verse 1 says i said last week that this man is a picture of a sinner with a withered hand he represents a divine picture of every sinner's spiritual condition that sin had entered and with it the power to paralyze and with it the power to wither the souls of men but secondly this man is a picture of the uselessness, the vanity of false religion. Those Jews, those who profess themselves to be God's children, 
look at a man with a withered hand and have no desire to do anything, but also have no ability to do anything to help. They are like their religion, withered and useless and unable to help people in their severest trials. Verse 2, the Jews' leader, Jewish leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, lawyers, were in the synagogue that day with Jesus Christ and with the man with a withered hand. And the scripture says in verse 2 that that they watched him, that they might accuse him. Watching him for the purpose of accusing him. Watching him carefully, scrutinizing every word, every action. But not with the intent to learn or to be bettered by it. But with the intent that is evil in their heart to find fault with him. In verse 3, Jesus instructs the man to stand up in the middle of the synagogue. Mark chapter 3, he says, stand forth. And in Luke chapter 6, he says to rise up, stand forth in the midst. And we drew the picture last week of how he had stood this man in the middle of the synagogue so that all could see him. The religious leaders who were there to judge and the other people. And then he asked the question, is it lawful to do good on Sabbath days? And he asked them, that is the religious leaders, and the Bible says in verse 4, but they held their peace. And in verse 5, when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he told the man to stretch forth his hand. First they held their peace, and I asked the question last week, did they not have an answer for him? Does not the scripture teach that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath? They should have had an answer. But their hearts were hard and they were not there to find fault with their religion or their religious views. They were there to find fault with the Holy Son of God. Second, Jesus looked around about them with anger, being grieved with the hardness of their hearts. We looked at the word anger and said that last week that this is a righteous anger, an anger without sin, an anger at what they had done with his religion and an anger with the hardness of their hearts toward him and toward everything that was good and righteous. And then we looked at the word grieved. This was a sadness or a sorrow that had flooded the heart and the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God standing in the synagogue of the Jews, grieved, with his creation. Greed with those who were supposed to be his people. Greed with those who said they studied the word of God but came up with a misrepresentation of it. And greed with those who could help could help that man with a withered hand. But under the guise of their religion did nothing. It's always amazed me the hatred of false religions against true Christianity. False religions rule over millions. Billions. You know, half the world's population live in China and India will live there by, by the year 2020. Half of the world's population, which at that time will be about uh, 3 billion plus people. And the two predominant religions in China and India are 
Buddhism and Hinduism. And both of them hate Christianity. They cannot do anything to help their people. They will not do anything to help their people. But they hate a religion coming in that might help their people. The Jews' religion in the days of Jesus Christ and in our day is no different. The Islamic religion in our day is no different. There are a multitude of Christian religions that are no different. They cannot help, but they will not allow others to come in and do, to do that, to help. No wonder the Lord Jesus Christ stood in anger and grief as he looked at the hardness of the hearts of these Jews, hearts whose conscience were seared, hearts made hard by the constant sin and continuation of sin in their religion, their unwillingness to leave their sin and their desire to promote their sin under the guise of religion. Jesus Christ said those that promote sin under the guise of religion have a hard heart. Jesus answers the question that he raises. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day by appealing to common sense and the common practice of regarding their daily mercy toward their animals? He said, what man is there among you that has one sheep if it fall in the pit on the Sabbath day will not lay hold on it and lift it out? You have a common practice among you. Which one of you will just leave him there? And then takes that. When the answer is, of course, all of us would to lift up a sheep out of the pit if he'd fallen in on the Sabbath day. And then takes that teaching and answers in the second point, and that is, men are more of more value than an animal. Man created in the image of God is more important than in any animal. How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. And he healed him. Verse 5, he says to the man, stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored whole as the other. And we said last week there are two truths that can be learned from this text. And they are first, the man whose hand was withered was able to stretch forth his hand only because of the power of God which went forth with the command of God to stretch it forth. But secondly, the man was commanded to stretch forth his hand. He was obligated to obey the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. And though he might have argued with God on, about his inability to stretch forth his hand, yet he did not. He simply obeyed. And he who could not do previously anything by desire or will was able to do it when God commanded him to do so. So that brings us up to verse 7. The Bible says, But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard, or had heard, what great things he did, came unto him. 
Now, verse 7 doesn't make any sense unless we connect it back up to verse 6. So let's read it again. Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 3, verse 6. The Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. But Jesus withdrew himself. In Matthew's account of this, Matthew chapter 12, we have this same account. Matthew 12, 14, Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. But Jesus, when he knew it, he withdrew himself from thence. Luke says in Luke chapter 6, the same event, verse 11, And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. And when it came to pass, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Jesus withdrew himself. First, because Jesus is God, he knew the thoughts and the intents of their hearts. Matthew reveals that aspect to us. Matthew 12, verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. But, verse 15 says, when Jesus knew it. How did he know it? They went out. They're communing among themselves. They're talking privately. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians talking in a private little group. How did he know it? Well, the Greek word gives us insight into how he knew it. The word knew comes from a Greek word which means to perceive. That is to understand by perceiving the situation. Jesus was not told of their intentions. He knew the thoughts and intents of their hearts. And so knowing what they were planning... He withdrew himself. The second point we want to look at in verse 7 where it says, But Jesus withdrew himself, is this. Jesus did not withdraw himself out of any fear for his safety. Do you realize this is God? At the end of his days, close to the end of his days, he is in the garden of Gethsemane praying a crowd comes with sticks and with swords and with torches and he says to the crowd who do you seek and they said we seek Jesus and he says I am he and they fell down like dead men You know, there is nothing of fear in the Lord Jesus Christ here. He is not running away because he's afraid. But he does withdraw himself. He withdraws himself for at least two reasons. First, the appointed time for his death had not yet come. This is early in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three years have to pass before we come to the cross at Calvary. His time is not yet. Over and over through the scriptures you find him leaving, going off, going into the wilderness, going up into the mountains. Why? Scripture says his time has not yet come. Listen to three texts. John 7 and verse 6. Jesus said unto them, My time has not yet come. John 7 and verse 30. Then they sought to take him, 
but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. John 8 verse 20 these words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no man laid hands on him for his hour was not yet come. Over and over throughout the scriptures we find out that men tried to, to lay hands on him. Men tried to kill him. Men tried to do something to stop him. But they could not. And the reason why? His time had not yet come. In Luke chapter 4 he enters into the synagogue. He reads and says, This day is this prophecy fulfilled in your ears. And they rose up in anger against him. Took him through the, through the edge of a cliff to throw him off. And he walks through the middle of them. Why? Because his time has not yet come. His time had not yet come. God is in control of the times relating to his son as well as the times relating to his children. Regarding times relating to his son, we've already looked at Mark chapter 1 verse 15. The time is fulfilled. Paul would write in Galatians 4, verse 4, But in the, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. God is on a timetable with regard to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the time of His birth and the time of His death, set by God from before the foundations of the world. And men may join hand with hand, Sadducees and Pharisees and Herodians, but they will not be able to do anything to the Son of God until the time appointed. But the same is true with regard to times relating to His people. Psalm 31 and verse 15, My times are in His hand. This is true of us, brethren. We need to live as though we believe and Trust that our times are in the hands of God. I do not know how much more time I have on this earth, but God does. He has appointed a time and a means by which I will leave this earth and go to be with Him in heaven. There is no accident that I was born on the day that I was born, nor will it be an accident that I will die on the day that I will die. My times are in His hands. And children, you are not an accident. Amen. Hmm? And someone said, oops, we didn't plan for you. I got news for you, God did. Amen. Amen. You're not an accident. You're here on purpose. God brought you into this world. He used a, a man and a woman. God brought you into this world. Amen. And your times are in His hands. And He has brought you to this place at this time. And that's important for you to understand. He withdrew Himself for the protection and the further teaching of His disciples. First, he did not withdraw himself for fear, for his times were in the hands of his father. But secondly, he withdrew himself for the protection and for the further teaching of his disciples. 
they were not yet ready to carry on the gospel ministry relating to the kingdom of God. Jesus had taught his disciples there would be times when they were to protect themselves by fleeing in order to preserve their lives. And this is something I have been contemplating lately and wondering, when is the time to flee? When is the time right? Or when will we know if it is the right time to flee? Matthew chapter 10 and verse 23 says, But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye unto or into another. This is a direct command from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's related to persecution to Christianity. He says, When they persecute you in this city, go to another. Does that have anything to do with the days in which we're living in? Does it have anything to do with Christianity in general or is it particular only to gospel preachers I think there is a general teaching in the scripture that there are times when you just leave and go to a safe place Proverbs 22 verse 3 says a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself but the simple just pass on and are punished Proverbs 22 verse 3 I think about what's happening to our nation. I think about what's coming. You can see the handwriting on the wall, as it were, by the very finger of God, if you have eyes to see. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, went out, joined hands with the Herodians, and talked about killing him. That's all they did. They didn't rush back into the synagogues with swords to attack him. They simply talked about it. And he withdrew himself and went to another place. But second, the apostles followed his teaching on that subject during their ministry. I don't know if you read the book of Acts with this understanding, but as you see the gospel moving forward out of Jerusalem and into Judea and into Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the world, what you see is oftentimes persecution rises up and they go to another place. Acts chapter 14 is an account of that. In Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is on his first missionary journey. And in verse 5 it says, And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews, Jews and Gentiles joining hands, Amazing. With their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. Verse 6. They were aware of it. They became aware of it and fled from Lyst- onto Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and onto the region that lieth round about. Verse 7. And there they preached the gospel. That's an amazing statement. Persecution arose. They left, went to another place, and there they preached the gospel. God sent me to preach the gospel here. Persecution arises. What am I supposed to do? Go to someplace else and preach the gospel? The mission field is the world. If we can't preach in one place, then we can preach in another. Remember, brethren, There is an overriding principle of Scripture. The preservation of life 
is always an overriding principle to be observed, especially by Christians. The preservation of life is always an overriding principle that governs our thinking. Third, the purposes of God relating to the continuation of good works of the Lord Jesus Christ were not yet fulfilled. Therefore, it was important that he withdraw himself to another place where he could continue to carry out his Father's will regarding his works. His ministry began with a demonstration of the goodness of God relating to healing the sick and delivering the possessed from unclean spirit. Those good works continued throughout the Lord's ministry on the earth until the last day that he would draw breath and he would look down upon his disciple John and say, John, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. And the next thing he did was give up the ghost after saying, now it's finished. The last act of Jesus Christ on the cross was to make sure that his mother would be taken care of when he was going to die. There was the world of sin upon him. There was the judgment of God upon him. There the Holy Lamb of God was suffering under the holy righteous judgment of God at Calvary's cross. And he honored his mother by providing someone to take care of her. That ministry of good works continues today in his churches. It continued after he withdrew himself from the synagogue. Look in verse 10, 11, and 12. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many has had plagues. And unclean spirits, where they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. Even after leaving the synagogue, even after withdrawing himself and going to the Sea of Galilee and later to the mountain, as Luke would record, he was in the process of doing good works. And so, rather than he withdrew himself, why? To continue doing it. John chapter 9, verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I want you to see the connection in John chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, between good works and light. The direct relationship between the good works of the Lord Jesus Christ and the light that is shed upon those who see those works. Jesus Christ, with acts of mercy, shows men that there is a God in heaven who is full of mercy. Jesus Christ, with acts of grace, shows men in heaven that there is a God in heaven full of grace. When the Lord Jesus Christ does good to someone, He's showing them that there is a God in heaven that is good. I must work the works of Him that sent me. I cannot be that I die this early in my ministry. And so He withdrew Himself. And in the process of withdrawing himself, continued doing the good works that he was doing. There are at least two reasons why Jesus Christ did what he did. Why he withdrew himself so that he could continue his work. First, the Bible says in John 4 and verse 34, Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. 
In John 6, 38, he says, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. That's the first aspect of this. Jesus Christ withdraws himself because his will is due to the will of his Father, which is in heaven. What he came to do, the word to do there, my meat is to do. What he came to do, to complete, to fully complete, was the work which he had been commanded to do with regard to the creation of God and the salvation of sinners. It is his work to do. And the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and the Romans could rise up against the will of God, but it is his work to do. And he will do it. It is his work to provide salvation for sinners. No one can take his life until he comes to Calvary's cross. And on that day no one took it, for he gladly laid it down himself. It is his work to redeem sinners. It is his work to apply his salvation to the heart of sinners. It is his work. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. I came to do the work that my Father has sent me to do. And so he withdrew himself so that he could continue to do the work of the Father. The Lord Jesus came to do the Father's will with regard to good works toward his creation and with regard to saving sinners from their tent, from their sins by teaching them. By demonstrating to them the mercy and grace of a, uh, in caring for them and by accomplishing their salvation with his death, burial, and resurrection. So that as he comes to the end of his life, close, just hours before he would be put to the cross, in John 17 and verse 4, he can say to his Father in heaven, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. In in Mark chapter 3, Verse 6, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians join hand to destroy him. He withdraws himself. Why? i got work to do. If I can't do it here, I'm going to do it someplace else. Later in his ministry, he said what he would have done in Capernaum if they had believed. Instead, he writes, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He just left them. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me. I want you to see his ministry relating specifically to the gospel and to the salvation of sinners must continue. It must continue. It cannot stop in Mark chapter 3 verse 6. Verse 3 years yet and before him. Thus it is important for him to withdraw himself to another place. That ministry continues today in the Lord's churches. And when the enemies of God puts down one church, another crops up and it continues. And when one door closes, another one opens and it continues. And when one saint is killed, a few more are saved and the ministry continues. You cannot stop the work of God. Governments may join hand in hand 
religions may join hand in hand. Do you know that the Roman Catholic Church has joined hand with Islam? Do you know that? That the Roman Catholic Church has joined hand with Islam saying, this Pope saying, that we have much in common and that we can meet our brothers on a common ground. It does not surprise me. Because in Tripura, the Baptists join hands with the Hindus to destroy the work, seek to destroy the work of the gospel there. When Jesus Christ used the word glorified, I have glorified thee on the earth. He was saying, I have done what I have done so that you, Father, might be lifted up and admired in the eyes of those who received my goodness and in the eyes of those who saw my goodness toward others. What I did, I did for others to see. Didn't he say to us, let your works, your light so shine that they may see your works and glorify your Father which is in heaven? So Jesus comes to the end of his life and says, I have glorified thee. The word glorified means to make glorious or to adorn with glory, to clothe with splendor, to, make, to render the thing, in this case God, excellent in the eyes of others. To cause the dignity and worth of some person to come, become manifest or acknowledged in the eyes of others. Jesus said, I did what I did. The good works that I'm doing, I did to make my Father in heaven shine with dignity and worthiness and excellence before the eyes of His creation. It cannot be that I stop now. It cannot be. He showed a fallen world that there's a God in heaven who was glorious in mercy, glorious in grace, glorious in goodness toward His creation, and glorious in love for sinners. What Jesus Christ did on the earth, they tried to stop Him, they tried to kill Him. He withdrew Himself and continued doing it. Why? So that He might show the world how glorious God is. His work showed a whole world that God is worthy to be trusted. That God is worthy to be loved and served. And fourth, under this word in verse 7, but Jesus withdrew himself. The purposes of God were not only not fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they had not yet been fulfilled in his disciples. For the scripture says, Mark 3 verse 7, but Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples. At this time, in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Mark chapter 3, there are only four of the original twelve. It will not be until verses 13 and 14 of this chapter that he calls the twelve, ordains them, and sends them out. Right now he has four disciples with him. They're supposed to be twelve. It cannot be that his work is stopped with regard to his disciples. Those four were not yet ready to carry on the work of preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They were still very young converts. So under this, with his disciples, first, he still needed to call and ordain the twelve. That takes place in Mark 3, verse 13 and 14. Secondly, 
He needed to finish teaching his disciples. Jesus Christ cannot die until he has equipped some to carry out his message into the world. Listen to the words of John 17 again. He is praying in John 17. Listen to verse 6, 7, and 8. John 17, verse 6, 7, and 8 as he is praying. He says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Verse 7. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou givest hast given me are of thee. Verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. There are three things, actually more than that, but I'm going to focus on three things in these three verses that the disciples needed to know before the Lord Jesus Christ could live. First, the disciples needed to know the one true and living God. I have manifested thy name unto the men thou gavest me. These are Jews, raised up in the Jews' religion. And at this time in the history of Israel, they do not know the one true and living God. They had not known Him for many centuries. They have not known Him for many centuries. They have lived and died being taught in the synagogues and in the temple and not knowing the one true and living God. Though God always had a remnant and Israel within Israel. Yet these were converted under the ministry of John the Baptist and baptized by him. They had just days or perhaps weeks before this event in, John, in Mark 3 been converted and come to know something of the fact that their religion had taught them wrong about who God was. And in the remaining three years of working with the Lord Jesus Christ, they will learn that the, most of the Jews in their generation did not know God. He was standing right in front of them. He would ask them, who do men say that I am? And he would say, well, some people think you're this, and some people think you're that, and some people think you're this. And, well, who do you think I am? Well, thou art the Son of God. Before the end of those years, they would come to know something of the one true and living God. I have manifested thy name unto the men thou gavest me. Second, the disciples needed to know that God and God alone is the source of all things, especially those things relating to the soul. Verse 7, Now they have known that all things are of thee. Now they know. They've watched. 
They've seen you feed 5,000 with a handful of bread and a few fishes. They have seen what you have done. They've watched as men who were sick were raised up, as cripples were walking, as blind men could see. They've watched as demon-possessed people were delivered and came and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. They even watched where one that was dead was raised from the dead. No, not just one, but another, a son of a widow, her only source of support, raised up on his funeral pyre. What is the word? On that thing they carried that body out of the city with. And he stopped them and touched it. And gave back to her mother, the only one, physically speaking, who could take care of her in her old age. They had seen and had come to know that all things are of God. Thirdly, the disciples needed to know the Word of God. Verse 8, For I have given them the words which Thou gavest me. And brethren, these three things form a solid foundation under God's children. That we come to know the one true and living God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we come to know and understand that all things are of God. And we come to know that God has said something. And we have it. We have it. In Mark chapter 3, verse 7, they do not yet have an understanding of these three things. And so he withdraws himself with his disciples. Mark 7, verse 8 and 7, 8 and 9. Let's read it together. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. Here the scriptures teach us that a great multitude followed him as he withdrew himself and his disciples from Capernaum and from this synagogue going down to the sea. A great multitude had heard what he had done and followed him. And what a contrast these verses are with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians in the previous verses. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and lawyers had gathered together around the Lord Jesus Christ with a great hatred toward him. To find fault so they might accuse him. But there were others who saw him or saw in him a great value, great mercy, great grace, great love, great goodness. Those who saw those things followed him and pressed upon him wherever he went. Brother, I believe the thoughtful and honest consideration of the great things that Jesus Christ has done and is doing in our generation should encourage us to come to Him, to press close to Him, to hear what He has to say, to consider that He might do great things for us too.
There are only two groups of people in the whole of the world. Those who hope to find some reason not to believe Jesus Christ. And those who have seen how good He is and want to follow Him. The Bible says they were gathered together because, quote, they had heard the great things Jesus Christ had done. His fame had spread throughout all the region round about His ministry there in Capernaum. There was a great multitude gathered around Him from all over. If you study the cities, and I'll not take time this morning to do it, you study where they're located. It's from the north to the south, to the east and the west. All over came to from every direction, came of the compass, came to Him. In fact, probably there were some Gentiles in that group. Because beyond Jordan, where's where the Gentiles lived. The Bible teaches us the great things God has done throughout the history of mankind. If you open the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and you begin reading, you see, and you come to the end of it in Revelation, you see the great things that God has done and is going to do in the history of mankind. Have you heard what the Bible has said? They heard what He had done. Have you heard? Have you heard what this book says about Him? About the great things that He's done from creation until now. In addition to the Bible, Christians speak of those things God has done throughout the history of mankind. Have you heard Moses, Abraham? Have you you heard Jacob? Have you heard David? Have you heard Paul? And from the end of the New Testament period, when John writes, Even so come Lord Jesus, and ends the New Testament canon of Scriptures, and men who love the Lord Jesus Christ began to speak, and generation after generation after generation have spoken, and books and volumes have been written. Have you heard what Christians have said about how good God is? Or is there a lone voice here and there that says, no, He's not. He's done this or He's done that. He can't be good. And the whole of Scripture cries against you. And the whole of the Christian voice cries against you. Have you heard what Christians have said? Well, there's one more testimony that I'm going to bring forth. The Bible says, when they heard, they gathered. And that is, even the enemies of God have spoken of those things God has done throughout the history of mankind. Do you realize there was a lost Jew called Gamaliel who stopped the Sanhedrin from killing the apostles by this testimony, if this be of God, you you cannot stop it. Coming out of the mouth of a lost man. But right in our text, we have an enemy of God blurting out a statement. The unclean spirits crying, Thou art the Son of God. Even the dark world knows this is the Son of God. Even demons know this is the Son of God. The Bible declares, 
Christians have declared, and even the darkest of the dark world declares, this is the Son of God. Have you heard? Those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ do so because they have heard what great things He did. Have you heard? Are you listening to the Bible when you read it, when your mama reads it to you, when your grandma reads it to you? Are you listening to those who are Christians when they tell you what the Lord Jesus Christ has done? My wife and I have a great fear for our grandchildren because I believe that it will not be too many years before Islam has not only taken root but has some control in this nation. Unless something dramatically happens to turn that away. And the other day we were speaking to one of our grandkids and we said simple words always remember there's only one God. His name is Jesus Christ. It is not Islam. It is not Islam. It is not Allah. It is not Muhammad. It is Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you listening to those who are Christians? When they tell you what the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you listening to the preaching and the teaching of the word of God on the Lord's day? When you gather here. They heard. What great things he had done. And from north and south and east and west they came. And followed him. Let's pray together.